Well, there have been some colossal failures in the history of our world. Uh, the Titanic was a great failure. Uh, the Vietnam War was a great failure. Uh, George Armstrong Custer was a great failure. And those are just three of hundreds I can present to you this morning from history that were great failures in the course of our time. But this morning we are looking at the greatest failure in all of human history. Uh, last week I said last, but certainly not least. This week it is last and certainly least. Uh, we are in our last message on our series we've been presenting on the 12 disciples. And this morning we are going to consider the disciple that is last on every list found in the Word of God. And in the list in Acts chapter 1, he's not even listed at all. He's not even there. Uh, he is, every time you find him in the Word of God, he is always listed with his name and after his name, the traitor. That's how he's identified every time he's presented in the Word of God. So we're going to consider this morning the last of our Lord's 12 disciples, that man being Judas Iscariot. Now, he is the greatest failure of all time because he betrayed Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for a handful of money. And his story shows just how deeply into evil the human heart can go. Judas spent three years with Jesus Christ, just as all the other disciples did. And with every day that he spent with the Lord, his heart became more bitter and more hateful toward God and toward his mission on this earth. Now, the other disciples, as we have found, had their failings. We have seen that as we've gone through this series. But each of them worked through those failings and became men that God could use in his work. And their lives have been a, an encouragement of how God can use anyone, the uncommon and the unremarkable, in amazing and unexplainable ways. That is not the story of Judas. Judas gives a warning of the evil that can result from, from uh, spiritual carelessness, uh, from squandered opportunities, uh, from lust, sinful lusts, and from hardness of heart. This was a man who was as close to Jesus Christ physically as any person could ever be. He enjoyed every privilege that came with being one of God's chosen disciples. He saw everything Jesus did. He heard everything that Jesus Christ taught, just as all the other disciples had. And yet he remained in unbelief and died and went to a devil's hell. Now, just to be clear, uh, Judas began like all the other disciples began. He had no earthly credentials. He had nothing that would cause him to stand out and qualify him to the position he held. But unlike the others, he never got a hold of the truth that Jesus Christ taught, and, though he was never, and so he was never transformed, as were the others, into the servants they became. From all we know about Judas, from what we are given in the New Testament, there are two lessons we can learn from his life, and we'll see these fleshed out this morning as we go through this study. The first lesson is this. What we learn from Judas is it is possible to be as near to Jesus Christ as possible and associate with him closely and yet still become completely hardened by sin. You can be as close to Jesus Christ as possible and still allow sin to harden your heart. The second lesson we learn from Judas's life is that no matter how sinful a person may be and no matter how they may try to work against God's plan, God's purposes will always be accomplished. Always. Even though those who work, even those who work against God can be used by God to complete the plan that he has established and will accomplish. God's sovereignty will never be overcome by even the best laid plans of whoever it just won't happen. Now, there are several things this morning we're going to look at in Judas's life. The first thing I want to consider is his name, his name. As we saw last week, the name Judas actually means Jehovah leads. So Judas must have been born to parents who really wanted to see God's will worked out in his life. His surname, Iscariot, simply means a man from Kirioth, a small town south of Judah, Judea rather. So Judas had no connection, no friendship, or no relationship with any of the other disciples. He was a loner in that sense. He didn't know any of the other men. There's no indication from Scripture, but we can't help but wonder if that's why Judas, because Judas saw himself as an outsider, maybe that's what led him to do some of the things that he did. Uh, none of the disciples knew him well. 
And maybe that's how uh, Judas established himself in that group, worked his way into a place of trust among that group, so much so that he became the treasurer of the group and held the spending money of the group of disciples. So Judas was ordinary in every other way, just as we talked before, and in some sense, even more so than some of the others. And he was so good at what he did that when Jesus said one of the disciples would betray him, none of them pointed to Judas. They didn't say, oh, we know who that is. They didn't do that. It goes to show us how deceptive Satan can be when he has a willing participant. We must never minimize the deceptiveness of Satan and how good he is at fooling people for his own purposes. As we learn in Genesis chapter 3 and learn all the way through Scripture, Satan is subtle in his approach. And when he has somebody who is willing, he can do unfathomable damage. And that's why Peter tells us to be vigilant when it comes to our approach with the devil. The second thing I want you to notice about Judas is his call. Judas's call. Unlike all the other disciples, or at least most of them, we don't have a record of the call of Judas. Certainly, in order to follow Jesus Christ, he must have had the same hope uh, as the others did, that this was the Messiah, the Messiah was coming, and Jesus Christ was that Messiah. Also, like the others, we assume he must have left some other occupation to follow Jesus Christ as he did. Even in John chapter 6, we've seen many left the Lord after his teaching. Judas was one of the ones who stayed, stayed faithful in that sense, uh, even though others left. But what is also obvious from the life of Judas is in Scripture is that he was not following Jesus Christ for spiritual reasons. That was not his motivation. His motivation came out of ambition and selfish greed. So Judas chose to follow. He chose to follow even when things became difficult and the resistance of the Lord's message grew. However, as he persisted in his following, he became more clever and more conniving in his ability to hide his real motives for being there and for following. Now, we also understand that when Jesus Christ chose him, he knew all that would transpire as a result. In Judas's life, we see the balance that exists between God's foreknowledge and man's free will choice. The Bible says several things about Judas, or at least the betrayer, in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 41.9, the Bible says, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Psalm 55, verse 12 through 14, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked under the house of God in company. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13, And I said unto them, If you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it under the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. All those things I just read to you out of the Old Testament are all prophecies from the Old Testament that talk to us about the betrayal of Jesus Christ by Judas. And from that, what some would say is Judas had no choice, that he was foreordained by God to betray the Lord. But that belief negates Judas's free will. It's clear from Scripture, and I know others will disagree with this, but I believe Scripture is clear. We all have a free will. And so Judas did, had a free will as well. Judas did not have to betray the Lord. He was not predestined to do that. He did it because he saw a gain in doing so. Uh, the Scriptures that I just read to you this morning out of the Old Testament are demonstrations of God's foreknowledge. God did not determine Judas's behavior, but God knew ahead of time what Judas would do, and therefore God placed those scriptures in the Old Testament as a result. 
And had God known beforehand that Judas would not betray, those scriptures would not have appeared in God's word. And so Judas, Jesus Christ chose Judas knowing that he would eventually betray him. Here's what John 13, 18 says. I speak not of you all. I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. That's Jesus speaking to the 12 disciples before he goes to the cross. And he says to them, I know that there's one here who's going to rise up against me. He is quoting Psalm 41 when he says that. He knows Judas will betray him and still chose him anyway. It was God's plan, folks, for Jesus Christ to be betrayed. That was part of the mechanism that got Jesus Christ to the cross. However, nobody was chosen or forced to make that choice. And when Judas betrayed, he did it out of his own volition and by his own choice. And God, knowing that he would do it, chose him to be one of the 12 disciples that would follow Jesus Christ. Had it not been Judas, it would have been someone else. But again, it would have been somebody who, by their own choice, made the, took the option to betray Jesus Christ. Folks, here's the point. Everything that we do, we do because we want to. Everything that I do, I do because I want to. Nobody does anything outside of their free will choice. Now, some may do that under duress. Some may do it before all the facts are known. But that doesn't change anything, folks. Everything I do, I do because I choose to. And the same is true of you. And that's why God holds us and nobody else accountable for the sins that we commit. We might try to blame other people. That's become quite a science in our day. We may try to blame circumstances. We may try to blame the devil. Some have even even tried to blame God himself for their sin. But at the end of it all, we sin because we choose to. And if we don't confess that sin, we will be held accountable for it. Judas never had a true love for the Lord. Judas never embraced the teachings of Jesus Christ. Whatever the human reason was, Judas' heart never changed. He was never a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. He was never a follower. Judas had every opportunity, just like every person on earth, to turn from his sin. Jesus himself even told Judas, don't do what you're planning on doing. But Judas set all that aside and did what he wanted to do because he was determined to do it. Folks, when you look at Judas Iscariot, you see every lost person who dies and goes to hell. There they are. God gives them every opportunity to turn from their sin and to trust him. He warns them all along the way of where that sin is going to lead them. And he makes salvation as easy as it could possibly be. But many lost people will see that and hear that and disregard it or put their own interpretation to it or simply not believe it. And they seal their eternal fate just as Judas did. I hope there's nobody here this morning. I hope there's nobody listening today who's decided to disregard the warnings that God has given. I hope there are none listening today who have decided to go their own way and not God's way. Listen to me. There are eternal, unchangeable consequences to make that choice. And God has made a way for every person on earth to live in fellowship with him together forever in heaven. He's made that possible. All it takes is for a person to acknowledge their sin and turn from it and ask God to save them based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have not yet done that before this service is over, we will give you the opportunity to do that. So we see his call. Next thing I'd like you to see, I'd like you to see Judas's disillusionment. Judas's disillusionment. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ did not fulfill the personal expectations of any of the disciples. (laughs) He was not what they expected. He didn't teach like they thought he would. He did not present himself like they thought he would. And yet at the same time, nobody ever taught like Jesus Christ did. They had never heard a message like the one that Jesus Christ presented. 
And they also knew as they followed him, nobody could do miracles like Jesus Christ could do them. They saw him live a consistently sinless life. But with all that going on, what they were expecting was a Messiah that would come and destroy the Roman Empire and reestablish the Jewish kingdom. And Jesus wasn't doing any of that. It was clear that the disciples were not always spiritually motivated. We've seen that as we've gone through this study. Oftentimes we have clearly seen that they were motivated by their own ambition and by their own perspectives. Early on, most of them followed, but they followed with the expectation of being materially rewarded for their faithfulness. But as they continued with Jesus Christ, 11 of them began to catch on. They began to see a whole different picture of him as they followed him. Even though Jesus Christ was not what they expected, their love for him grew to the point where it overcame all these fleshly motivations and all these fleshly ambitions and desires. They developed a spiritual dimension that carried them and built a foundation for their ministry after Jesus Christ ascended. Judas never got it. Judas never got it. He never got beyond being disillusioned with Jesus Christ. Now, he probably hid that more, more than likely uh, to gain materially, as much material from, as possible from following the Lord. But the whole spiritual aspect of Jesus Christ's ministry was lost on Judas. And it didn't take long for that disillusionment to grow. Uh, Jesus Christ in John chapter 6 and verse 70 calls Judas a devil. So it didn't take long for him to become so disillusioned that Jesus Christ identified it. Jesus knew that Judas was becoming increasingly dissatisfied with the work they were doing. He knew that Judas was unrepentant and unbelieving and disinterested in the work of the Lord. And that disillusionment grew to hatred as time went on. And when he was given the opportunity to betray the Lord, listen to me, we don't see him giving it a second thought. (laughs) He did exactly what he had the opportunity to do. He was done with all of it by that point. He just wanted to gain what he could from being a follower all those years. Now, there is a lesson for this for us as believers this morning that we need to get a hold of. And very simply, it is this. Attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. Every betrayal of the Lord, every betrayal of his work, every betrayal of his people starts with heart attitude. What's going on inside? Something will happen that we disagree with or that we didn't expect. Something will be decided on that we don't understand. Something will be done differently the way the way it had always been done. And in our hearts, we begin to brood about that thing and get angry about that thing or become dissatisfied. I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And look at verse 15. Probably one of the most important verses in the word of God for a believer to know. And I know there's many that we should know. This is an important one. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. The Bible says there, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. From a dissatisfied attitude, bitterness begins to grow. It's the ground for bitterness. And from that bitterness, we begin to undermine God's work, or we undermine a servant of the Lord, or we undermine a church, or the people in that church. Notice that verse says, uh, that root of bitterness springs up, and many be defiled. (laughs) What it says there is that dissatisfaction, that bitterness begins to affect other people and infect other people. As our dissatisfaction grows, and it will manifest itself in other people as well. And in the process of all that, God's plan and God's work is harmed. Our attitude leads to a betrayal of the work of the Lord, and we commit a sin not unlike that which Judas committed. It is the wise believer who routinely checks their attitude toward God and toward his work and toward his people. 
And it's the equally wise believer who catches that dissatisfaction and remedies it, remedies it before it turns into something that harms the work of the Lord. And God chastises them for it as a result. We may not always like or agree with what's going on. But if there is no biblical principle that is truly being violated, we pray about that thing and we put it in God's hands and we keep our mouths shut and we stay focused on what God has called us to do. (laughs) Folks, I'm going to tell you, if you want to be put on the shelf in terms of God's work, let that bitterness grow and let it begin to affect other people. And at some point in time, God's going to say, you're not worth the effort anymore. (laughs) You're still saved, still saved. But God can't tolerate that because it affects other people and begins inwardly to destroy the body of Christ. And God's not going to let that happen. If we manage that thing in any other way than the way I just described to you, we betray God's work. And God will hold us accountable for that, just as he did Judas. The next thing to notice in Judas's life, Judas's extreme greediness, his extreme greediness. A short time after Jesus Christ had raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus and his disciples were uh, returned to the outskirts of that city uh, where the miracle had taken place. And Jesus was invited to a dinner by a man by the name of Simon the leper. <laughs> what a way to be known. Along with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 gives us the account of this supper that Jesus Christ was invited to. Uh, John chapter 12. Notice verse 2. John 12, 2, there made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. With him, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, this was an extremely extravagant action by Mary. By Mary. Mary showed her worship of the Lord by using a perfume that was extremely costly, so much that it had the appearance, appearance of her being extremely wasteful. Once that perfume was poured out, it could not be reused. And so it gave the appearance of something grossly excessive. Look at verse 4. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now, 300 pence was a great deal of money at that time, especially for perfume. Uh, One pence was a person's daily wage at that time. 300 pence would pay a person's wage for almost a year. Now, I love Sandy a lot. I'm not going to spend a year's wage on a bottle of perfume for her. (laughs) And by the way, she wouldn't want me to. So (laughs) praise God for that. It's not expected. Uh, You see, notice Judas's words. He pretended to be concerned about the poor. That's what he he presented. And apparently what he made sense to the other disciples, we're not going to go there. But in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 8, this same account is given. And it says there, but when the disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose was this waste? They heard Judas say it, and the disciples picked up on that and echoed the same thought. They had the same indignation that Judas had expressed. And this shows how good a hypocrite Judas was. Even the other disciples were fooled by his false indignation. Now look at verse 6. We're given the attitude, John 12, 6. We're given the attitude behind what Judas said. Uh, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And had the bag and, and bear what was put therein. Now, John wasn't aware at the time this was going on, what Judas's attitude was. But as he wrote this account later, uh, God gave him this insight and told what the attitude was of Judas, what motivated him to say what he said. Listen to me. It was sheer greed. He was just concerned about the money. He couldn't stand watching money be wasted like that. That money could be in his pocket. 
He didn't want to see it wasted like it was wasted. Now look at our Lord's response to Judas in verse 7. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she done this, has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Now just think about that for a second. Jesus knows the attitude behind it. He knows exactly what Judas is up to. He knows exactly what he was doing. Now, if you and I had had all that knowledge, my guess is we would have blasted Judas. <laughs> we would have given him both barrels. Jesus doesn't do that. He could have gone a great deal harder on Judas than what he did, considering the motivation behind what he said. But he didn't. Uh, Jesus is mild in his rebuke. And even though he was that mild in the rebuke of Judas, it apparently made Judas that much more resentful of him. The money that was wasted on that perfume could have been added to the treasury and money in the treasury gave Judas a greater opportunity to skim some off the top. He couldn't stand to watch an opportunity like that slip by. And it was the last straw. After that event, here's what Matthew chapter 26, verse 14 says. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. He gets rebuked by Jesus Christ and it puts him over the top. It's all he can stand. It's the last straw. And so he sneaks away and meets with the chief priest in Jerusalem and agrees to sell Jesus Christ out for 30 pieces of silver. By the way, if you look in your Old Testament, 30 pieces of silver is the price of a slave. What he got for Jesus Christ is a slave's price. That's what he earned, a minimal amount of money. It was the best he could negotiate with those chief priests. So for the first time, Judas exposes himself for who he really is by commenting on the cost of the perfume. He kept his motives quiet. He kept his thoughts to himself up to that point. But when he saw that money wasted, he couldn't take it anymore. He speaks as an individual and receives a rebuke from the Lord as a result. And that rebuke was all it took to push him over the top and cause him to betray Jesus Christ. I've got a question for you this morning. I've asked myself this question as well, so I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm putting all of us on the spot. How do you handle it when you're rebuked? How do you handle it when you're rebuked by somebody else? Now, I understand it's never a pleasant experience. When somebody confronts you biblically about something, how do you respond to that? Nobody likes being confronted by a wrong choice they've made or about an attitude or a behavior that is outside uh, the bounds of Jesus Christ's likeness. However, there are times when that is necessary. There are times when that is helpful. Now, when that happens, and if it's done in the right way, we can respond in one of two ways. See where you fit. The first is to accept it as God speaking through a brother or a sister in Jesus Christ. We can hear what's said. We can consider the validity of it with the Spirit guiding us through that. And then if change is needed, we can make those changes. Listen to me. God uses his word and God uses his spirit. And God uses wise fellow believers to help us understand God's plan for us and help us follow the path that he has for us. And we miss an important part of that process if we refuse to hear or if we react negatively when somebody in the right spirit and with the right motive confronts us about something that we need to hear. Here's what Solomon said. He had a great deal to say about this in the book of Proverbs. This verse kind of summarizes all of what he says in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 25:12. Listen to this. As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an, or, an obedient ear. So is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. Two parts to the process. There is the wise reprover and there is the obedient ear. 
So a wise brother or sister, a wise preacher or teacher presents a concern to us that addresses some issue. We get convicted about something, maybe in a message or maybe by somebody else's life or somebody else they say or something they say to us directly. And some attitude is displayed or some issue is presented. It's not done with any malice. It's not done to make put you on the spot. It is not there because of some presentation of superiority. They're just presenting a concern that addresses an issue in our lives. And if the process works the way God intended it to, that rebuke falls on an obedient ear. You hear it? It falls on the ear of that one who only wants to do God's work, only wants to do what God desires, the goal whose goal is only to please him, who will accept instruction for whatever source God uses to provide it. And when that wise reprover and that obedient ear match up, the rebuke is profitable and the changes that need to be made are taken care of. And that person is thankful to God for bringing that message to them. We ought to thank God for his rebuke. What kept me straight as a kid is my parents rebuking me ever so often. Well, quite often. (laughs) That's what kept me straight. That's what kept me on track. Because they were willing to do it, and because I, as a child, was willing to hear it and respond to it, that kept me going the way I should be going. God, as your Father, wants to do the same thing for you. He wants to provide rebuke for you. He wants you to hear that thing and stay on track. Now, there's another way to handle it. Another way to handle it. And that's how Judas did it. Judas allowed the root of bitterness to grow. He is confronted by Jesus Christ himself. Now, certainly, the rebuke that Jesus Christ gave him was done in the right spirit and done in just the right way because Jesus Christ did it. But it was not what Judas wanted to hear. It went against his own desires. It went against the plans he had made. He wanted that money, and Jesus rebuked him for it. So in response to that, what you see is the full display of the root of bitterness that had begun to grow in Judas Iscariot. And instead of hearing the rebuke, instead of that following on an obedient ear, he planned his attack against this one who rebuked him and sets up his betrayal of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand not every rebuke is from God. And I realize some choose to address things in our lives out of their own selfish motives or because of some pharisaical attitude. I get that. But I want to tell you something, folks. We never quite know that. So the best response is... And the first response to any rebuke that comes our way is honestly assess what is said and check your life to see if it makes sense. See if there's any validity whatsoever to what has been brought to you. You know what? Sometimes we are just too thin skinned. (laughs) We get hurt way too easily. We're looking to be hurt in some way. And when somebody says something, we just allow that to happen. We need to build a thicker skin. And when somebody says something, if it applies to you, change it. If it doesn't apply to you, forget it. (laughs) It's just that easy. Instead of getting all hurt about it and so forth and so on and talking to everybody else about what they did and pouting and staying out of church for weeks and weeks, just take it as rebuke and accept it or cast it aside if it doesn't apply. And God will let you know the difference. He definitely will let you know the difference. But I want to tell you, don't let your pride, speaking to myself now, don't let your pride allow you to immediately brush brush off when you're confronted by something. At least hear it. And if we seek God's guidance, again, and find no truth to what is said there, pass it off and move on with what God has called you to do. And if you find truth in it, seek God's direction on how to remedy what is said. But in either case, to seek revenge or to attack the one who has brought the rebuke is simply not in the will of God. God speaks to us through others. And we need to be open to the fact that God may have brought that person into our lives for the express purpose of helping address some issue in our lives that need to be taken care of. I'll tell you something else, folks. When you see bitterness grow in a person, think Judas Iscariot. That's where it started. 
Judas did what he did because he allowed that bitterness to grow. Don't allow bitterness to grow in your life. If you see that happening, snip that root as quickly as you possibly can because it will ruin you and it can harm the church of God. And you're responding in the way that Judas Iscariot would respond. By the way, even a pers- if a person uh, approaches you with a rebuke that is non-biblical, even if they approach you with something that is, is not, does not apply, it does not give you the permission to attack them in return. That is the human spirit. When somebody attacks us unjustly, we want to attack them back. Jesus Christ didn't do that, folks. He never did that. He responded, but he didn't attack. Make sure we keep that in, uh, in place as these things go along. Now, the next point to take note of in Judas's life is his hypocrisy. His hypocrisy. Uh, go to John 13 now. You're in John chapter 12. Just turn a page over to John chapter 13. Look at verse 2. Judas has already met with the chief priests. He's already made the plan to betray Jesus Christ. That's all been taken care of. Now they are all together in the upper room the night before Jesus Christ is arrested. Judas knows what he's already planned as he sits there at this place. Verse 2. And suffer being ended. The devil not having now been, I'm sorry, let me read again. The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, Satan did not force Judas to do what he did. We've covered that. It was Judas's willingness to listen to Satan that caused him to do what he did. It was never outside the free will choice of Judas to do that. Judas was so hostile to the truth and to the work of Jesus Christ that he willingly accepted what Satan tempted him with. He was ready for it to come. Now, remember, as this was going on in the upper room that day, Jesus Christ gave the disciples a lesson of humility by washing their feet. Think about this. Judas knows what Jesus Christ knows that Judas is already up to. He knows the plan has already been established. And Judas knows what he's already done. He already knows the plans that he's made. And Jesus Christ washes his feet. Think about humility there. Uh, Ponder that for a while. Next time you get that pride rising, think about that. He washed Jesus Christ, Judas' feet. Now look at verse 8. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon, saith, Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Of course, Peter never wanted to go to extremes. He says, Well, if we've got to be washed, wash me from head to toe, then let's do it all. Look at the reply in verse 10. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Uh, ye are clean, but not all. Look at verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. You see what he's saying there? I know whom I've chosen. I get who I have here. <laughs> I know who I picked. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now, I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Now, put yourself in that upper room. Jesus Christ says, one, he is not clean. One, he is dirty here. I know that I've chosen him. I know he's here, and I know he's not clean. So the disciples side what glances start looking. You know, hmm, is it him? Maybe it's him. Hmm, never liked him anyway. Maybe it's that guy. <laughs> and down the route they go, never saying it could be me, although they say it's not me. But they're looking at each other. Wonder who he's talking about. But the idea that one of them would actually betray Jesus Christ went completely over their heads. All they're concerned about is not being clean. That betrayal thing, they totally missed it. So look at verse 21. Jesus Christ makes it as clear as he can. Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. You can't get much clearer than that. 
Matthew says in Matthew 26, 22, and they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say, Lord, is it I? They looked at each other for a while, and then he said, when are you going to betray me? And it got a hold of them, and they began to look inside. Maybe I'm the one. Is it I? Is it I? Am I the one? And look at verse 25, if you would. Well, actually, you can't. I don't want you to go there. Matthew 26, 25, as they're all asking, Lord, is it I? The Bible says, then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? <laughs> He's keeping the game going right up until the very end. All, as though he is just as perplexed as all the other disciples were that Jesus Christ said that one of them should betray him. And if you read through the rest of the chapter of Matthew 26, you'll find that Jesus Christ identifies Judas as the one who will betray him. Look at verse 26 of John uh, chapter 13. John 13:26. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Look at verse 30. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Now, folks, that is the darkest day in the life of Judas Iscariot. At that moment, the day of salvation closes for him. He's made his choice. He's done. But the interesting thing about this is the disciples still did not pick up on the fact that Judas was the betrayer. He was so good at appearing to be what he was not that the disciples were still completely fooled by him. Amazing. Judas was one of the Lord's closest associates. He played the game so well that he looked as genuine as all the other disciples did. Folks, here's the lesson there. Please be aware that not everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ really is. Just be aware of that. Not all those who talk the language and walk the walk are necessarily in it for the right reasons. Some of them are only in it for what they can get out of it. And I'm not going to accuse anybody of that, but I watch these celebrities whose careers begin to fail and suddenly they become Christians and start singing Christian music. (laughs) Now, I hope they're genuine. I hope they're genuine. But I got to wonder about that thing sometimes. I got to wonder sometimes that they're just walking the walk and talking the talk because there's benefit to doing it that way. I will tell you this, if you know somebody who you are concerned about in that sense, you're aware of somebody like that, I will almost guarantee you that if you wait long enough, it's going to show up in what they do. It won't be consistent. Their lives will show something in what they do or how they respond that's going to betray them. You see, what the disciples did not do is what we are instructed to do in 1 John 4.1. Beloved, uh, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. More so true today than it was back then. Listen to me. What a believer needs to do today more than ever, I think, in the time of history, maybe. Every believer needs to ask God for discernment. You need to ask God for discernment. You need to ask God to help you identify the reality from the fake. The genuine from the not so genuine. We need to ask God for discernment. Ask God for wisdom to make sure that those we follow and those we associate with are genuine and faithful to God's word. We need to ask God to keep us from being pulled in by someone who says or does the right things, but who makes but makes a subtle change here or there for the purpose of their own gain or to satisfy some desire they have or some purpose they have. Judas was so good at what he did, but the disciples had been fully had they been fully in tune with God's spirit. They would have realized his hypocrisy in his approach. They would have known had they just heard what the spirit of God said to them. We need to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us as well so that we are not fooled by someone who seems to be real but who's not as genuine as they appear to be. 
And that leads us to the next part of Judas's life. Take note of his betrayal. His betrayal. Please understand that the betrayal of Jesus Christ by Judas was not some impulsive act. He gave thought to this thing. It was not an act that he later regretted. The only thing Judas ever regretted about what he did was getting caught for it. What he did was calculated and planned out to the very last detail. I want you to think about this. Uh, Luke 22-39 uh, tells us that it was Jesus' custom to go and pray in the garden. That's what he did. So Judas knew exactly where to bring the soldiers to arrest Jesus Christ. He knew to take them to the one place where Jesus Christ would pray by himself and pray with his disciples. Go to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, look at verse 3. John 18.3 says this, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. <laughs> the closest guess is that Judas probably came with about 600 soldiers to arrest one man. And they came armed with lanterns and torches and weapons. They came armed as though they were going to battle. Think about this. I think it's fascinating. Judas walked with Jesus Christ for three and a half years. He saw the power of Jesus Christ. He saw him raise people from the dead. He saw him touch them, and they got sight back. Don't you think when he went to pick up Jesus Christ in the garden, he went fully armed just in case? <laughs> he knew the power of Jesus Christ. He knew exactly what Jesus Christ could do. He said, we better take as many weapons as we possibly gain and as many men as we can gather to take this man, Jesus Christ. Jews also, as you are aware, prearranged the signals to those soldiers to know who it was that was the, they were to grab. Mark 14, 45, and when they, he had betrayed him, and when he that had betrayed him had given them a token saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever had somebody that you trusted? Or somebody that you had worked with or served with? Maybe a family member? Maybe a friend? Turn on you and attack you before others or even to your face? How would you respond to that? What did you do about that? Uh, think about this. Uh, Jesus Christ said, my, this, this man that betrayed me was my friend. That's what he said. He had to be crushed in his humanity. Now, we're speaking not of his deity, but in his humanity. He had to be crushed by the fact this is one of his own. This is one of those who had walked with him, one of those he had invested time in, one of those he had trained. And this man, after all that effort, all that time, turns on him like this and kisses him to betray him. And when we consider that, we would think that Jesus Christ had every right to attack back, to put Judas in his place, to reveal to them who he was and what he was really all about. I want you to hear our Lord's response, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 50. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore cometh thou? He calls Judas his friend. He uses a term of endearment to the one who had just betrayed him in such an awful, conniving way. The most cunning and evil way possible. And Jesus Christ says, Friend, why have you come? I want to remind you what David told Goliath when they was facing him at that battle that day. He told him in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 48 or 47 rather. He said, the battle is what? The Lord's. The Lord's. 
The battle is the Lord's. Jesus Christ knew the spiritual warfare was going on all around him. And he knew the Father was aware of exactly what was going on. He wasn't missing any of it. Jesus Christ knew he didn't have to react. He didn't have to get even. All he had to do was do what the Father wanted him to do. And respond exactly the way the Father would have him to respond. Jesus Christ knew there was a plan in place. He just needed to follow the plan that God set out for him. And so he simply put the battle in God's hands. Believer, have you learned to do that yet? Have you learned to do that yet? Have you learned to put the battle in God's hands? I'm going to guarantee you, probably before this week is over, somebody's going to say something to you or about you to somebody else that's going to start a battle if if you choose to let it. Because people are out there to do this very thing. And sadly, many of them are believers, are fellow Christians. When they do that, how are you going to respond to that? When you are betrayed, when those who are closest to you abuse you and attack you and lie about you, you know what you need to do, folks? Give it to God. Just give it to him. Just handle it by letting him handle it. (laughs) That's what Jesus Christ did in the face of this ultimate betrayal. He said, friend, what are you here for? And that's the model that he presents to us that is very, very clear to us. When you are betrayed, when somebody talks about you or does something that harms you in some way, give it to God and let him handle it the way that is best for it to be handled. And I guarantee you he'll do it the best way. And you probably won't. (laughs) I probably won't. One more thing I'd like you to see this morning, and that's the death of Judas, his death. Go to Acts chapter 1, if you would. Acts chapter 1. This is the only account, the full account that we have of the death of of Judas Iscariot. And this is Peter talking now, and he says this in verse 16. Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now, this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong. He burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. (laughs) We know from the gospel, Judas hung himself. Well, apparently he hung himself in a place where the where the the branch he hung himself on wasn't all that sturdy. And that branch broke and he snapped down that uh, from that place and dropped to the ground below. And he splattered all over the pavement down there. That was the death of, G- of Judas. Judas is the most pathetic failure in the pages of history. This man with the greatest opportunity ever given to anyone, he had the opportunity to walk with Jesus Christ. He died in the most demeaning and disgusting way possible. And he did everything that he did knowing exactly what he was doing. It was just that following the Lord didn't give him the payoff that he wanted, so he decided to go a different way. Now, we may never betray Jesus Christ to the extent that Judas did. Hopefully we don't. But I want you to be aware of something, folks, as I've made myself aware of it this week. Every time that we go our own way and refuse to walk the way that Jesus Christ is leading, we are walking in the spirit of Judas. Because that was his, his ultimate failure was that he walked his own way and walking his own way led him to what he did. Every time we choose to walk our way against the Lord's way, we are walking in the path of Judas Iscariot. Listen to me. Betraying Jesus Christ involves hearing what he has to say and seeing the path that he wants us to walk 
And then rather than listen to him and follow him, we decide to go our own way or listen to other voices instead. And every time I do that, I betray Jesus Christ because he's got a path for me. And we may do that for a day or an hour or a month or a year. But as long as we do that, we are performing an act of betrayal against our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you something this morning. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you have been given the grand opportunity to serve Jesus Christ. And I mean that as deeply as I can possibly say it to you. If you are not serving Jesus Christ, you are missing the greatest opportunity any person could ever be given. There's nothing greater than that. We've been given that opportunity. We are given the opportunity to live for him and to serve him and to walk with him. May we never, as Judas Iscariot, surrender the glory of that calling in order to do something that we want to do or walk the path that we want to walk. (laughs) May our lives as his children be lives not of betrayal. May our lives be lives of dedication to the great calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the prayer. Let's pray.